my covenant family, where we're going this morning, where we are entering into this morning will only benefit you in worship. Where we're entering into this morning will help you, benefit you greatly in your worship experience. I invite you to join me with our scripture reading this morning, taken from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, and 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 to 16. The Hebrews passage. This hope, and the hope he's referring to is that hope, as we saw last week, that is set before us. It's God's hope, a supernatural spiritual force that was deposited in us in the new birth. It was set before us, and we are instructed to lay hold of it. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, as a forerunner for us to follow, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And now to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 to 16. But a natural man, you could say the mind of a natural man, the mind of a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for the things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to the natural mind. And he cannot understand them because these things are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But, but, but we have the mind of Christ. Pray with me. Jesus, I once again place my flesh and my pride and my, all of my fears behind the cross. I humble myself and I submit to you this morning. Let the anointing flow freely. Holy Spirit, impart revelation this morning. We as your people say with David, break open your words. Break open your words, God. Let the light shine out. Let ordinary people see the meaning. And Jesus, again, may the words that I share be a spoken sapphire to my covenant family, the people of the rock. Amen. The title of the message again this morning is spending time on the other side of the veil. We are on part two, and it's the final. There are handouts. They are the same as last week. If you didn't get one, raise your hand, and one of our ushers will make sure that you get one. So raise your hand and hold it up. There are two pages. Thank you, Tom. There are two pages. One is the outline. We are on question number seven on the back side of that handout. The other one are just major points selected from the message. We are not going to review part one this morning. We have a lot of material to cover, and I invite you to listen to that foundation message from last week, the foundation of for where we are entering in today. And you can, I think Nick stated where you can go to get it, uh, revelationrock.org. In part one, in part one, we saw that there is a new covenant, holy of holies, a reality, a reality on the other side of the veil of this natural realm that we may enter using our God-given hope that is anchored in that dimension on the other side of the veil. It's God's hope, a spiritual force that was given to us, a spiritual force along with the spiritual force of love and faith that was given to us in the new birth. 
And we may use this anchored hope to pull us into the fourth dimension, into God's reality, if we choose. We closed last week with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8, and it stated, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place, the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle, or some translations say the first tabernacle, and that's the way the Greek reads, as long as the first tabernacle remains standing, the holy place has not yet been disclosed. And we concluded from that that our, our outer tabernacle or our first tabernacle is the body that we were born into. So our flesh would represent the outer tabernacle. The physical, natural world is the, is, is, is the veil that conceals the glory of God that has been deposited on inside. It, it conceals his presence. And that veil needs to be broken through. It needs to be subjugated and for, this, for, for what God deposited in us to be revealed. So our outer tabernacle must stand down to the reality of God's truth, the reality of his perspective, the reality of his work in us. We must, atte- we must esteem God's view. That's Christ's finished work in us. God's view of us is Christ's finished work. We must esteem that, God's view, more than what we see, more than what we hear, and more than what we feel if we want to see this new covenant, holy of holies, and the revelations that it has to offer. We must subjugate the natural to the supernatural. We must subjugate the flesh to faith and the world to the word. If we want this holy place, God's reality, disclosed to us and enter into it. There's only one way in. This hope. This hope that's been given us. God's hope. Supernatural hope in God's promises. Supernatural hope in God's reality is what takes us to the other side of the veil. This hope enters within the veil as we've read numerous times in Hebrews 6.19. And to get in, To get in, we need to meditate long enough for our God-given hope, that hope that's anchored in the finished work of Christ. We need to meditate on that long enough for, we need to meditate long enough for that God-given hope to penetrate the veil of the flesh, to penetrate the natural realm and its disappointments and its hurts and its pains and all the things that the natural realm has produced in us. We need to allow, we need to meditate long enough to penetrate through that and move in to the spirit realm. Allow it to move us. Allow that hope to move us into God's dimension, into his reality. But when we do, when we press through, what do we see? What is there? What can we experience once we've entered within the veil into this new covenant, holy of holies? This, we can climb on Father's lap and listen. We can climb on Father's lap and listen. And if we, if we shut up long enough, we can hear his voice. Let me show you what I see, he says. And there in his presence, in the holy of holies, in the most holy place on the face of the earth, the holiest of all places on earth, right here, right here, in you, in your innermost being. I'm going to ask you to do something. I generally don't ask you to participate, but, and I've never asked you to do cheesy things, I don't think. Not in my opinion, anyway. 
But I'm inviting you to put your hand on your belly. You know, he's going to see you. Some of you got them all right, so it's not a big deal. Put your hand up because I want want you to get something. The most holy place on the face of the earth is not somewhere over there in the Middle East. If you have your... (laughs) Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You are the temple. You are the temple. You are the house of the presence. You are, housing, you are housing the presence. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you have your hand on your belly, just a few inches under your hand lies the holiest of all places on the face of the earth. And when we are there, when we go there, when we enter in and we are on his lap, this is what we hear him say. Look. Look around at the walls in this place. That's you. That's you. That's you over there doing what I created you to do with the passions and the gifts, using the gifts and talents and the passions that I put into you, that I placed within you. That's you. That's you over there on that wall, living in abundance. That's you, victorious. That's you over there, healthy, confident, happy. That's you over there on that wall. That's you living at peace, sleeping like a baby. That's you over there on that wall, strong, strong like Caleb taking his mountain at the age of 80. And over there on that wall, look at that. You're the lender, not the borrower. You're above only, not beneath. Over there, you are succeeding. You are succeeding in whatever you put your hand to. Over there, you're blessed in the country. And over there, you're blessed in the city. Wherever you are, he says to you, you're blessed. In 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, in 12 and 13 we read, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which not have entered, you could say here in context, have not entered through the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths, the deep things of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know, not speculate, we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, in other words, not derived from the intellect, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Through the Spirit, through the Spirit, God revealed them to us through the Spirit. The depths, the deep things of God are revealed through the Spirit. In the Holy of Holies, in this new covenant Holy of Holies, Holy Spirit takes the depths. He takes the deep things of God and projects them on the, projects them on the walls in this place. He projects them on the walls. These depths, the deep things of God that he projects on the wall transcend the intellect. They have not entered the intellect. They have not entered through the intellect. They have not entered through the heart of man, the soul of man. But through the Spirit, these depths are revealed. For those of you who are going through God's house of mirrors right now, the youth, the women's group, the men's group, this is where God's house of mirrors is located. Right in here. It's in this new covenant, holy of holies. The house is. The house he built for you. And if you are willing, 
God wants to take you through a, take you on a tour through that house, and He will disclose to you, He will reveal to you the things in any room of that house that you choose to enter into. He will give you a revelation. He will give you a revelation of every of his work in you in every room that you choose to enter. But the revelation from God's house of mirrors in you, the revelation from that house on the inside of you transcends the intellect. Revelation is from spirit to spirit, from deep speaking to deep. It's not intellectually understood. Intellectually, you may mentally assent to information. You may mentally assent to God says I'm holy. You may mentally assent to God says that I'm perfect, that I'm righteous, that I'm... That you may mentally assent to God says I'm strong, I have his wisdom in myself. You may mentally assent to that information, but if all you are doing is mentally assenting to the information, the revelation will evade you. When revelation hits, it elicits a genuine, oh my God, oh my Lord, my Jesus, I really am righteous. I really am pure. I really am holy. I really am perfect and I'm really absolutely am filled with your wisdom, God, and your love and your hope resides on the inside of me. And God, I have your very nature living on the inside of me. Jesus, I really do have your mind in me. It has become a revelation. And you know that you know that revelation hits and you know that you know that you know that it is absolutely true and you know that it will never be taken away and you know that you will never ever be able to back off of it. It doesn't matter what you experience. It doesn't matter what circumstances you encounter. It doesn't matter what failures you experience. You know that you can never ever back away from this newfound reality for to you it has now become a revelation. It is no longer just a concept. It's no longer just an embroidered image on a veil. It is no longer just a picture of a religious Jesus. To you, it is a revelation and has become your, real, your reality. And it hits. The revelation hits. Revelation hits when we press through the veil of the natural realm and enter into this new covenant, holy of holies. And it is there. It is there in this new covenant, holy of holies. We see projected on the walls the work, the, the accomplishment of the cross. We see projected on the walls the result of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see Christ's work in us. We see it working on us in 3D. In 3D. It's real. It becomes real to us. Just like the cherubim that the high priest saw once a year when he broke through the veil of the Jerusalem temple with the blood to put on the mercy seat. He saw the cherubim not as an embroidered image on the outside. One time a year was all he was allowed to do, but he saw the cherubim, the golden cherubim overlooking the Ark of the Covenant. He saw them in all three dimensions. See, it's no longer to us an embroidered image of God. It's no longer to us a religious picture of Jesus. It is no longer when we get to heaven. It has dimension to it. It has substance. It now has form. It has a now to it rather than a someday. It has a now to it rather than a someday. It has become reality. Spiritual reality, yes. 
I agree, spiritual reality, yes, but nonetheless real. It has become to us more real than what we see with our eyes. It has become to us more real than what we hear with our ears. It has become more real to us than what we feel in our bodies. On the walls, we see our protection. Psalm 121.7, it becomes real to us. Psalms 127 comes to life. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. That promise comes alive. And it lives on in Isaiah 46.4. It lives on. Isaiah 46.4 becomes real as we age. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it and I will carry you. And I will bear you and I will deliver you. Believe me, I'm using this one. I'm using this one. This one's mine. I've seen it and I'm hanging on to it. For dear life. On the walls, we see our healing. On the walls in the Holy of Holies, we see our healing. First Peter 2.24 And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, by his stripes, you were healed. We see our healing projected on the walls in this new covenant, Holy of Holies. I saw this projection years ago and it has now become part of my routine part of my daily declaration jesus thank you that by your stripes i was healed and if i was healed that means i am healed and if i am healed that means i'm healed now and if i'm healed now that puts me in a position where i can no longer beg and plead or even ask you for my healing it puts me in a position where all i can do at this point with this revelation and what i see projected on the wall of the Holy of Holies is to say thank you that by the stripes of Jesus I was healed. I'm not going to forget any of your benefits. You carried my iniquities and you healed all of my diseases. Thank you, Father, that you sent your word, the living word, and healed me. And I hear you, Father, speak to me and you say, I am the Lord who has healed you. We see our victory projected on the walls in this Holy of Holies. We see our victory. We see the blood resting on the covenant. We see the blood resting on that mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, that old covenant symbol picturing the new covenant reality of God in us. His presence, His glory, His reality residing on the inside of us. That is His covenant with us. And the power, the power of that blood resting on the covenant will rise on the inside and your fear, and your doubt, and your failure cannot remain. The effects of your fear, the effects of your doubt, and your failure cannot remain. The natural realm, obstacle. The natural realm, obstacle. Your problem cannot remain. It cannot prevail against that power. Your hope, God's hope on the inside of you is alive and active, overriding the problem. In Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13, we read this. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. According to this, a man without covenants of promise is a man without hope. A man without hope. 
But by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been brought near to God and have entered into the covenants of promise made between God the Father and God the Son. We're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. We have been brought in and sealed with the covenant blood of Jesus Christ. You see that blood resting on the covenant and the power in that blood rises up and you realize that your problem is now subject to the words of your mouth. Your your words are no longer subject to the problem. Did you get that? You realize that your problem is now subject to the words of your mouth. Your words are no longer subject to the problem. And in this place beyond the veil of the flesh, you see projected on the walls that you are a covenant child of the most high living God. A covenant son. A covenant daughter. We just sang, your blood flows through my veins. We're, We're sons and daughters. That's what we sang. And when we're singing that, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm a covenant child. I have his DNA on the inside of me. And we sang, I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father. Do you know what you're saying when you're singing, I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father? You're sitting there saying, I'm on his lap. I'm on Father's lap. I don't care what kind of intimacy issues you have. If you're singing, I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father and the Father seated on the throne, you got to be on his lap. So the next time you sing it, see it. The next time we enter into worship, see, and you sing, I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father. See yourself sitting on his lap. See see yourself sitting there with his arms of protection, his arms of love, and his arms of comfort embracing you. And seeing yourself as a covenant son, a covenant daughter, you realize you have certain rights and privileges as a covenant son, a covenant daughter. And you realize that through Jesus, you may lay claim to these rights and privileges because you are a child of the king. You see his blood flowing through your veins. You see his DNA in you. And it's no longer just a song. It's no longer simply just a song. It has become to you a revelation. A revelation that you can never, you know, you know that you know that you can never depart from it. You'll never come back from it. You begin seeing yourself as righteous. You begin seeing yourself as full, rich, abundant, complete. You begin seeing yourself as God sees you. You know, when you, when you press through the veil of the flesh and enter into this new covenant, holy of holies, you don't see debt. You don't see sickness. You don't see your failure or your weakness. You see yourself as a saint, not a sinner. You begin seeing yourself doing what God says you can do. You begin seeing yourself having what God says you have. And you begin begin seeing yourself being who God says you are. And then you begin to say, that's me. That's me I see. That's me I see projected on the wall in the Holy of Holies. That's me I, I see over there, righteous. That's me I see over there on that wall, healthy. That's me I see victorious and blessed. That's me I see living abundantly, succeeding in everything I put my hand to. And you come out of there and you step back into this natural realm. Having seen those things, something changes, something shifts, and you ask yourself, what am I going to say 
now that I know that I'm righteous. And you ask yourself, what am I going to think now that I know that I'm healed? And you ask yourself, what am I going to do? How am I going to act now that I know that, I am in, that, that I'm victorious, succeeding in what I put my hand to? What am I going to think and say and do now that I've come face to face with God's reality in the fourth dimension? When we enter in beyond the veil and spend time in the new covenant holy of holies, we have encountered the fourth dimension. And once we have experienced the presence of God, once we have experienced God's reality in the fourth dimension, something happens. We're going to think differently. We're going to talk differently. We're going to act differently. I'm not saying in mass. I'm not saying in mass, but definitely regarding that particular thing that he showed you in there. Definitely regarding that particular thing that you saw in the Holy of Holies projected on the wall. Because the things we see in there, the things that God shows us is our reality impacts us. It's going to affect what we say, what we think, and what we do. Once we've seen and accessed the resources within us, we are going to think differently, we're going to talk differently, and we're going to act differently. You see, we access the resources within by connecting our reality to God's reality. We do this beyond the veil. We, do th- we connect our reality to God's reality by spending time on the other side of the veil, on the other side of the flesh, on the other side of this natural realm. Don't go looking in the natural mirror. Don't go looking, don't go looking in the mirror of this natural world. Now, when I say natural mirror, I'm, talking the bat- I'm not talking about the bathroom or the hallway mirror, although the bathroom mirror and the hallway one will trigger in us thoughts that are reflected back to us of the natural realm. I'm going to guess there's many of us that don't just see our faces, our ears, and our hair when we look in a physical mirror. I'm just going to say a good majority of us here, it triggers things like, you're a loser. You're a failure. You don't measure up. You can't do this. You've made mistakes. You've goofed up. You can't live this thing. You aren't who you say you are. It's just sometimes that physical mirror. So when I'm saying don't look, I'm ta- when I'm saying don't go to the natural realm mirror, I'm talking about the, natu- the mirror of the natural realm as well as that physical mirror. Don't go looking into the mirror. Trey, a few weeks ago, shared with us a truth about the natural realm mirror. Some of you were here for that and remember that. He was gracious enough to send me a picture of it. And this is the warning on that natural realm mirror that Trey shared with us. It says this, warning, reflections in this mirror may be distorted by things you decided to believe that aren't true. Don't go looking in this natural realm mirror to figure out who you are. Get a good picture of being in Jesus without what you see in the mirror. I'll say it again. Get a good picture of you being in Jesus without what you see in the mirror. Don't filter your picture of being in Jesus with what you see in the natural. Because if you don't ever get out of the natural realm, you'll never get out of the realm of failure. Let me say that one more time. If you don't ever get out of the natural realm, you'll never get out of the realm of failure. Break through the veil of the flesh 
and get into the Holy of Holies. Get onto Father's lap and let him show you his perspective. Let him show you his reality. Connect your reality to his reality. Bring his reality, the finished work of Christ. That's God's reality. God's reality is what Jesus Christ accomplished. His reality of our world is what Jesus Christ did for our world. So connect his reality. Bring his reality into yours. Bring the finished work of Christ into your reality. How does it work? How does the finished work, how does the accomplishment of the cross work? How does by his stripes we were healed work? How does we reign as kings in this life really work here and now? How does we are more than conquerors work? How does what happened 2,000 years ago through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how does it affect change now and here? How does it alter the atomic structure of our physical world 2020 and half a world away? How does it transfer through time and space? By believing it. Simply by believing it. Jesus taught us that it is by believing it. By believing it, the finished work, any of it, any aspect of the finished work, by believing it, it travels 2,000 years of time and through space from Jerusalem to Northwest Ohio here in the Americas, right here, Pettisville, Ohio, November 2022. Today. Today. Jesus said it works by believing it. Believe and you will see, he said. Believe and you will receive. Believe and you can move mountains, he told us. Believe and trees can be uprooted and cast into the sea. All things are possible to him who believes. Only believe were his words. Only believe, he said. And we just sang, far be it from me to not believe when my eyes cannot see. Last week I made a statement that said, seeing, or I, I made a statement that said this, uh, believing is for things you cannot see. Seeing is for things you have. Thus, the conclusion is that you cannot say. I mean, let me, let me say it this way. The, the statement, I'll believe it when I see it, is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. You can say, I believe, or you can say, I see. But you cannot say, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Because believing is for things you cannot see. Once you see them, you no longer need to believe that you have them. So when we sing, far be it from... For me not to believe when I'm, my eyes cannot say, what we're declaring is, God, I refuse to get in that position. I refuse to ever say to you, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm going to believe it. I choose to believe it. I believe that the mountain, the next phrase is, this mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea. I'm not, I, we, don't, we, we choose not to say, I'll believe it when I see it. We choose to say, I believe that this mountain that is in front of me will be tossed into the sea. And I encourage you, next time we sing it, see it. The next time we sing that, I encourage you to step through the veil of this natural realm, past the problem, past the mountain. Step into the, 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 the realm of his dimension, his reality, and see him toss that mountain into the sea. Jesus taught us that believing, believing that what was accomplished in the finished work of the cross, the finished work of Christ, believing that it is more real than what we see, and hear and feel that that believing is what affects change in our physical world, change in our circumstances, change in our bodies, change in our lives here, right now, through time and space. What he was describing is quantum mechanics. 
Jesus on earth was the original physicist teaching on the implications of quantum mechanics. 2,000 years before Einstein or Schrodinger and his cat revealed to us the science of the atomic world, Jesus said to Jairus, only believe, only believe. Well, those of you who are not familiar with Schrodinger, he was, a, he was a founder of modern quantum theory, and he used a cat in a box to describe. It was a, it was a cat that was both dead and alive. Again, he's not talking about a cat and not talking about a box. He's talking about how, the, how atoms operate at the quantum level. And he used this illustration of a cat in a box that was both dead and alive uh, because an atom is what they proved in quantum mechanics that is an atom is both a compact object and a wavelength at the same time, I mean, which, which astounds physicists. But he was using this cat in the box, and he said the truth, the theory that he was revealing to us was that what we observe, if we open the box and observe the cat as dead, that becomes our reality. The cat is dead. If we open the box and observe the cat as alive, the cat is alive. Again, he's talking about how atoms behave at the atomic level. And Einstein, this is what he thought of those actions, the, the activity of atoms at that level. He called them spooky actions. I give Einstein credit because he asked the question, the question he asked concluding this was going, is it possible that this is God? To which those of us that walk with God go, absolutely yes. So let's get back to Jairus. He told Jairus, only believe. I believe what he was saying to Jairus was, only observe your daughter as alive. Only observe your daughter as alive. Don't observe, don't believe what they told you. Let's just back up a little bit. Let me, if you're not familiar with Jairus, he was an official of the synagogue. And he came to Jesus and he says, my daughter is at home near death. Uh, she's sick. If you will come and lay hands on her, she will live. So he made a statement of faith. He says, I'm going to take your word that you're able to heal her. And they made, went off in their way. As Jesus always did. He just met him. And the centurion says, you, know, I, you don't need to come. You just speak the word. He says, good. He spoke the word. Jairus said, would you come? He says, look till. On the way, shortly after, they met a woman with an issue of blood. And by the time Jesus got done dealing with that situation, trying to find who it was, at the very moment that he was still speaking to the woman, people from his household, Jairus' household, come and says, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. You know what they did? They just painted a picture in Jairus' mind of his little 12-year-old girl lying there dead. And Jesus immediately goes to Jairus and interrupts this process and says, don't fear any longer. Don't take a hold of that observation. Don't get that picture in your mind. Only believe. Only believe. Only observe your daughter alive. Don't observe what they told you. Subjugate the natural world, what you heard with your ears, Subjugate the natural world to supernatural hope, to my promise. Only believe. I mean, you understand, Jairus had faith. He came and he said, you, you come, it will happen. And I believe what Jesus was saying to him, you believe that. What's the difference between whether I speak the sickness out of her or raise her from the dead? There is no difference. If you can believe I can take the sickness out of her, you should believe that I can raise her from the dead. And Jairus took a hold of that and they went on. And Jesus raised that little girl from the dead. What we observe 
is our reality. So observe. Get onto Father's lap and observe his reality. How do we know when we are there? How do we know when we're in this Holy of Holies, this, in the New Covenant? How do we know that we've entered beyond the veil? Here, when the Word, the Word of God, when the promise that you have from God and your position in Jesus becomes more real and more vivid inside you than your position in the natural, that's when your hope, God's hope, has reached beyond the veil. That's when you know that you are there. The door's open. My brothers and sisters, the door's open. The veil has been torn. The flame, the flaming sword-wielding cherubim, the guardians of Eden, the temple veil in the Jerusalem temple with the embroidered cherubim as a partition between man and God. Those guardian angels of Egypt keeping mankind from stepping into paradise again and eating of the tree of life so that we wouldn't live forever in a fallen condition. It has been broken through. It has been pressed through by Jesus. It has been passed through by Jesus as a forerunner. He passed through that flaming sword. A flaming sword, you encounter a flaming sword, you encounter death. Jesus passed through that flaming sword. He took the hit for us. He took the hit of death for us and he opened the way. Now we are to follow. The invitation has been given. Come, come boldly, come with confidence, come with full assurance of faith. And it does take faith. It takes faith to step over the threshold of that open door. We have not been taught to do it. We've not been given the blueprint to enter in. And actually, we have been taught to fear it. The blueprint we've been given by religion is to fear the Holy of Holies. We've heard from religion, you've got no right to go in. We've heard from religion, God can't stand sin. He can't abide it. We've heard from religion that the best you can hope for is to cower in the corner. Men who are pastors who have a seminary degree and have posted on their walls have told us, you can't get in the best you can hope for. If you, I'm, I've heard it. I've had one tell me. The best you could hope for if you could get in is to cower in the corner. I don't know what they do with Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter... I don't know what they do with come boldly. I don't know what they do with come with confidence. Come in full assurance of faith. I'll tell you, I, 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 I pondered it. I'm not saying they X those out. I think what they're doing is they're just dealing with a concept of the finished work of Jesus. They're dealing with information. They don't have a revelation that the whole purpose was for us to bring us back into a level of intimacy where we literally can sit on Father's lap. You see, faith needs a blueprint. It needs a plan, a valid blueprint. And cowering, if, if you've got in your mind, if religion is planted in your mind that the best you can hope for is to cower in the corner, I'm telling you that is not a valid blueprint. Our blueprint is the Word of God. But instead of giving us a valid blueprint for our faith to take us in, religion has actually taught us to fear it. Our faith needs a plan. That's how faith works. And the Word of God is already the existing plan for our faith. It's the blueprint designed to take us in. And the Word of God says, come, come boldly, come with confidence, come in full assurance of faith. And hope is the key. Hope is the key. Hebrews 6.19, once again. The ho this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. 
This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. Hope is the key to enter within the veil. This resource, this key is in you. We have this hope. How do we get it to work? Well, Romans 15, 13 tells us how. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on Him, His power, to abound in God's hope. Then verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. We get our hope to work by being encouraged from the Scriptures. What does it mean, encouragement of the Scriptures? It's the Old Testament stories. It's the, it's the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith where the patriarchs, the, our, our fathers of faith, our, the, the men and women of faith in the Old Testament who took the promises of God and acted on them and believed them and, and produced exploits of faith. They accomplished great exploits. When we read those stories, we conclude and say, that encourages us to say, if God did it for them under the old covenant, he will certainly do it for me under the new covenant and the power of the blood of Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit, verse 13, and the encouragement of the scriptures, verse 4, causes us to abound in hope. It takes us into that new covenant, holy of holies, and it produces what we read in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so to realize the full assurance of hope. There it is again. Hope is just interesting. And this is always talking about God's hope. Assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the result of spending time on the other side of the veil, that through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. That through faith and patience, we inherit the promises, any of the promises. Promises, plural. The new birth is an all-inclusive experience holding within its deposits all of the promises of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as may be, or as many as are, the promises of God in Jesus Christ, they're yes. Therefore also through him, through Jesus, is our amen, or so be it, to give God glory. When we say so be it, when we say that's the way it is, let God be true and every man a liar, we give God glory. Now if they are yes, if the promises are yes, that means we may inherit them. We may. We are free to inherit them. They are in us. as the, they, are, they are included in the deposits. If the promises are yes, then we don't have to beg for them. If the promises are yes, we don't have to plead for them. We don't even have to ask for them. If they're yes, we simply only need to see them, observe them, see them in us, on us, flowing through us, see them projected on the walls in that new covenant, holy of holies, in Father's presence. Then we need only thank Him for them. They're yes. They're yes because they are there in us. That's why they're a yes. We have them. You already have all you need. You already have all you need. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 from the message. You have the kingdom inside of you, Jesus said in Luke 17, 21. The promises are already in you. Come boldly, he says. Come with confidence and full assurance. God desires to show you what he has placed on the inside of you. That's his desire. He wants to communicate this to you. 
We are designed for close, intimate communication with our Creator. We are. Behind the veil. Deep, speaking to deep, a sacred space of communion with God. Keep your failures out of it. Keep your failures out of it. I know it's hard. I've been moving in and out of, so I'm not doing it consistently, but I, I've been doing this for a long time, and I still find myself, it's so easy to take your failures in there. Oh, God, I'm such a failure. I'm no good. I can't live this. I don't know. I'm talking about a month ago, a week ago, three days ago. God, I can't live this Christian life. I don't know how you can stand me. Why do you put up with me? Ask somebody else to do it. Get somebody else to share this message. I'm such a It's so easy. It's, this is hard to do, but I'm telling you, it's important that you leave your failures out of this sacred space of communion with God, and here's why. Because it will, you, if you go dragging your failures in, here's what happens. It'll only keep you from seeing the projections on the walls that he wants to show you. It'll only keep you from seeing the promises. It'll only keep you from hearing what he wants to speak to you. He's a gentleman. He doesn't say shut up. He won't tell you. You want to go in there and just blab about what a failure you are? That, he'll let you do it, but that's all you're going to get. Remember, what you dwell on, you will end up dwelling in. What you dwell on, you will end up dwelling in. Leave your failures out of it. Just camp out in his presence and simply enjoy Jesus enjoying you. Religion doesn't teach us that. But the Spirit of God reveals that to you, that that's God's desire in this sacred space of communion with him. He wants you to camp out in the presence of Jesus and you can just simply enjoy him enjoying you. Completely different, non-religious way of looking at what God did to the cross of Jesus Christ. Spend time on the other side of the veil and experience God's passion for you to the point where you can say with the psalmist in 73:25, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. This has been part of my daily prayer for years. But sometimes I add, okay, oftentimes I add, Pretty much of the time, I add, accept coffee. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth except coffee. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm using coffee as a metaphor. Maybe. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing. Now, how? How can we ever get to a place where we say this and mean it? I believe we can. I believe we can when we, like David in Psalm 23, make this declaration. The 23rd Psalm. The Lord. The Lord, He is my shepherd. My provider. How can I want for anything? How can I want for anything when He makes me lie down in the green pastures of plenty? There it is. My coffee. He leads me Beside quiet waters of peace, I am cared for by the one. Cared for by the one. The great shepherd, he meets my needs, all of them. He is the good shepherd. He restores my soul. He removes the worry. He removes the fear. He removes the dread. And he positions me into rest and quietness. He leads me in the paths of his righteousness, not my own. He guides me along the paths of his finished work. 
I've got this, he says. I did it for you. It's my righteousness. It's my holiness. It's my perfection. I've given them to you, and now I lead you in their paths. He does this simply because he is Jesus, the good shepherd. He has a good name. And because of that name, Jesus, he has given me his name. Because he is Jesus, he has given me his name, the name Jesus. And he's given me his righteousness. For his name's sake, he has blessed me. For his name's sake, he has blessed me with everything pertaining to life and godliness. And though I might walk in the realm of the shadow of death, where others are ruled by the adversary, I will fear no evil. I hear him saying, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. No fear. No fear. Jesus, I am shielded by your rod of protection. I'm guided by your staff of direction. These benefits bring me comfort. Great comfort. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table right in the midst of my enemies, and yet I can eat. I can eat in peace. Because these are conquered enemies. They are bound. I am in no danger at all. I can eat in peace with full appetite. You've anointed my head with oil, Jesus. You've anointed my head with oil. I now reign as a king in this life. I'm in the priesthood, anointed. I am now part of your royal family. And my cup overflows. My cup overflows. I'm filled up with life, abundant life. And joy is mine. Joy overflowing. Most certainly, goodness. That is your goodness, God. And loving kindness. That is your loving kindness. Those will follow me all the days, all the days, all the days of my life, every day. And I will dwell in the house. I will dwell in the presence, the presence of the Lord on the other side of the veil forever. And then we will say with David in Psalm 56, verses 12 and 13 from the message, God, you did everything you promised. And I'm thanking you with all of my heart. You pulled me from the brink of death, my feet from the cliff edge of doom. Now I stroll at leisure with God in the sunlit fields of life. When we can say these things along with David and believe it, we know we have entered in beyond the veil. For this is the end result of spending time on the other side of the veil. This is my prayer for you, my covenant family, my covenant brothers and sisters. This is my prayer for you, Rock family, that each one of us self include that each one of us will spend time on the other side of the veil and come to a place where we can say, now I stroll at leisure with God in the sunlit fields of life. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living, living, living in me. Fellow believers, this is the air we breathe. His holy presence living in us in the new covenant, holy of holies, on the other side of the veil. Spend time. Spend time on the other side of the veil in your Father's presence. Amen.